to edit or not to edit? That is the question any Shakespeare production has always had to answer. Whether tis nobler in the mind to retain the entirety of a given play, or to take arms against the sea of words and through condensation and simplification, pair them. To cut down, to shorten. And by shorten we say we cut short the rambling soliloquy and the parade of minor characters that the folio is heir to. To edit, to make easy, aye, there's the rub. For in that ease is the threat of losing the richness of Shakespeare's original, must give us pause. Where's the respect for the calamity of those too long plays? Even in as poorly conceived and haphazardly structured an adaptation as the one I just subjected you to, the work of adapting Shakespeare is always a tricky task. Updating a single play like Hamlet for a modern audience requires compromises between fidelity to the text and comprehension to the viewer. Between artistic license of the author and our modern sensibilities about plot, character, and conflict, but updating a series of plays, not just for a modern audience, but for a modern medium, such as film and television, involves a thousand more compromises. Do you set your play in a quasi-modern setting, or retain a renaissance look? If the play is set in a different time altogether, do you return to that historical setting, or to the poorly informed historical creation that Shakespeare would have had in mind when he was writing it? How do you handle asides and soliloquies? What do you do with an excess of characters? What do you cut out, and what do you keep? These are the questions anyone who adapts Shakespeare must answer. The second season of The Hollow Crown, the BBC's most recent adaptation of the Henry VI and Richard III plays, answer these questions in some very interesting ways. And today we are going to talk about those questions and others in an, our analysis of these three films, which were basically masquerading as a TV series. Since brevity is the soul of wit, more of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertainment. And beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. So this is the Bix pod. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And I am also very impressed that Aiden adapted Hamlet's soliloquy. I We had to record this twice because the first time he did it, we, we go in blind. I, I haven't heard it before. And I started laughing because it was so good. I'm so <laughs> impressed right now. So amazing. It was pretty well bad. Done. It was very bad. No, no. It, it made a lot of sense. And, and you, you do have, there's that, there's the rug. There's the, the two opposing sides. Mm-hmm. How do you approach a play like any of Shakespeare's and make it understandable to a modern audience but faithful to to its original source material. And that's something that um, I would argue The Hollow Crown does very well. Mm-hmm. But um, but you have also done very well in your oh. in your soliloquy. Well, thank you. So congratulations. Congratulations to me. And yes, we are here to talk about The Hollow Crown. Correct. Season two. Uh, we're going in the reverse order of which they were released because they covered the more popular Henry plays. We talked about first. this. We talked about yeah. this before we started the podcast. We were like, are we going to go through the this six, eight... Play eight, eight arc, play arc yeah. from from the start of the Wars of the Roses with Richard II all the way through to Richard III in chronological order. And we decided, no, we're going to go chronologically because that's how Shakespeare wrote them and how he intended us to experience them, Maybe. I guess, Not really, if he possibly, ever thought about anybody reading probably, these. <laughs> um, and here we are having to having to deal with 
the same issue with the Hollow Crown because mm-hmm. yes, the the first cycle dealt with Richard the Second through to Henry the Fifth, yeah. and came out in what 2012 or something like that. I thought it was a little bit later. I can't remember the exact details, but this yes. this current version was 2015, was it not? I believe so. Yeah. So either way, there are two cycles. They did them chronologically as they happened in history, not mm-hmm. chronologically as they were written. So they went the route that we talked about going, but obviously they are not going chronologically through the entire works of William Shakespeare. Just the four, the two tetralogies. Yes, and so we only watched the second series so, so far. far. So uh, we don't know how much they tied back into series one, whether they had oblique or obvious references to, you know, various characters. I haven't even looked at the character list to see if actors have been, have yeah been crossover. Forward. I don't even know yeah. yet that. So so this I doubt is it, but. literally <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a pretty big separation of time. But uh, the so this is literally just about the three. Uh, Feature-length TV shows. Mm. It's kind of Sherlock-style. BBC production has been doing a lot of that lately of, here's a movie. We'll call it a TV show and and throw it up. Uh, And so it's just the three... Uh, movies Mm -hmm. of the four plays. And right away, I think that's a good place to start, Lindsay, is Mm -hmm. um, what did they cut? Uh, there's, There's quite a bit of... Especially uh, parts one and two, right. Henry the Sixth, uh, that were omitted or cut down, or uh, yeah, just just in some way or another reshaped into a, a much shorter format. Because uh, Henry Richard the Third is the last film. The last film is the entirety of Richard the Third, and III. it's a fairly faithful adaptation. But the yeah. first two condensed three plays into about four hours. Yeah. Um, which, if you've been listening to us all along, you know that BBC has done um, each of the three yes. Henry the Sixth plays yes. at it, about three hours yes. in length each. Yeah. So to condense those three into yeah. one nine, single nine four movies hour, into four mo- hours, is, yeah, is is a daunting task. So yes. there obviously there are things that have been cut. I didn't go through with a little red pen and no. mark off everything that was omitted, but but I felt like even though they did cut things. What they cut did not detract from the story. In fact, I think it enhanced the narrative thrust yes. in such a way that um, it. I understood, having read the plays, having watched the productions, I knew what was happening all along, but as a, I could put myself in the mind of the average TV or moviegoer, um, or TV watcher, I guess you don't mm. go to the TV. Maybe you do, well, I don't know. We do, we just like, <laughs> you want to go watch TV? Yeah, yeah. we'll go watch TV. Um, and I, I put myself in their mind and I thought I could understand what was happening um, even if I hadn't read the plays, yes. because it's they structured it like a, a finely tuned TV show. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. And and so the the strongest part of that I think is uh, there were two factors. One is they got rid of a lot of characters, especially mm-hmm. the extraneous ones, mm-hmm. um, and the characters that they did leave intact had in some cases more trimmed down roles. So right. uh, the combination of those two really uh, lent a lot more focus to the story. Yeah. Um, you know, there were, you know, at the end of the day, the the start of the wars, the roses, even, I mean, that, that right there was the biggest change. As soon as we started watching this, mm-hmm. uh, the legal dispute between yes. York and uh, who was it? Uh, Somerset. Somerset. Yeah. And, and company yeah. Uh, in the Rose Garden when they're picking roses is not some obscure legal matter. It is the legal matter of York's claim to the throne. Like, do you believe yes. that I have this? And I was like, and that was one of my first complaints about Henry the Sixth Part One is that this huge dynamic 
gymnastic struggle comes down it starts off as a terrible little like tiff oh, I'm going between, to pick this rose no, no I'm going to pick this rose and there's no weight behind any yeah. of that and said they made it right away this is about the hollow crown this is about the crown uh, of England and these are the parties that are going to be vying for it behind the scenes and yes it's symbolic but, but it has a gravitas to exactly it. that was lacking in the, in the original and that change right there mm-hmm. allowed you to bypass a whole bunch of other initial incidents that kind of for, that kind of created the drama in part one yeah because you had all these characters present in that rose garden scene and they they kind of they're acting out their struggle and their um their dispute in one place which you you don't need all the other stuff that happens you can see these characters and it helps that that you you have it just being a visual medium as tv is so good at being um it helps to have that that uh, an actor's face to put to the name so you mm-hmm. remember oh that guy is on this side that guy rather yeah. than just reading a name on a page right which it, it, we struggled with I struggled with reading the play yeah and even watching the, the original yes. BBC adaptations there were just too many of those characters yes. so you're like oh yeah which one was he oh, oh and he's gone off screen yeah uh, and so there was a lot of that they also reduced um, some of the other major characters like Joan of Arc only has a couple yes. scenes the, the Dauphin is, is basically not existent I think he has two lines and or that something. was that was something I did want to talk about a little bit I don't know if you want to talk about yep, it now sure. but but I think that that reducing that, um, I like Joan of Arc. I think she's one of those. Um, we talked about her in our Women of Shakespeare episode. She's one of those central female figures that is so powerful and so strong so early on in Shakespeare's canon mm-hmm. that um, reducing her is unfortunate. I'm I'm saddened by that, but I I kind of get it. I understand to to keep the plot tight and to not have to dabble in any of that French storyline. Um, by removing the Dauphin completely, mm-hmm. you're kind of focusing in on who the real um, the real players are here. And Joan of Arc is a player, but she's kind of a side story. Yes. You can't get rid of her entirely because no. a lot of the struggle is like the dynastic squabble, squabble, sorry, the dynastic <laughs> squabble that these characters are going through plays out in France and in the battles that they're that they're engaging in, but not it, it's. Joan's story doesn't overshadow theirs. That story is just a a way for those characters to interact in a different locale. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, And plus, I I have to wonder why they chose... They could have. It's not like the BBC is is lacking the ability to do a nine-hour spectacle. They could have done that. But the the choice to not do it, I do wonder if there's some... um, effort there to distance themselves from the France, from Europe, oh, from... Sure. Well, there might be some political considerations uh, there, too. You want to talk about England's history. You want to yeah. talk about the people that shaped England and yep. the the po- politics behind the last 500 years, 600 years of English history. Um, having scenes that are set in this froofy court in France yeah. is, is going to take away from that, right? Yeah. And there might have been this, I mean, this is 2015, it's it's heading into um, the Brexit referendum. It's just something that crossed my mind. I, I don't know, I was not in the room, uh, BBC did not return my calls, so I don't have <laughs> the answer for that entirely, but no, I would be fair. curious to find out if that played any role. But I, I think the the pushing aside of France and especially um oh gosh I can't remember his name the main English dude Talbot Talbot 
you know, his whole storyline got pushed off to the side yeah. and stuff. Uh, I think that helped strengthen the play a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was interesting that there's this initial incident of the Rose Garden and York's claim to the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything else is kind of a sideshow. And th- yeah. that's main that main conflict is brewing underneath. Yes. Um, and it the main conflict of, of York and York and Lancaster. Yeah. 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 So these these two rival houses, that is what the the films are about yes. are about that whereas Henry VI Part 1 is not about that no. it is all about France it is all about you know Talbot yeah, it's and, all about and the weakness of Henry VI yes. and his inability to deal with uh, conquering France and his France queen and, stuff. and yeah. all of that emerging storyline coming through and here the important bits got through I think there, yeah. was, there was was it Talbot whose son he meets on the field and then yes. they die together or whatever uh, or his son dies I don't remember the, they both the die they both die mm-hmm. yeah um that was kept in, which felt a little fluffy and, and weak. Well, it didn't a have bit. the power that it did in the original play because we don't have that association with Talbot as this Being conquering this hero. hero yeah. He's just another guy whose son happened to die. They could have excised that yeah. fairly easily, I think. Yeah. And and just I agree. You know. Yeah, but, so so there was still a few incidents of that, but for the most part, uh everything that happens happens and focuses and the important parts that you remember and the the kind of uh, connections between characters and stuff uh, are much stronger in this because they all revolve around that central conflict. Right. Um, and so that that's that's the the great strength of the series in my mind uh, is that it it corrected faults of Shakespeare because Shakespeare was worried about presenting a history play. Right. They were interested in telling a history story. Yes. Uh, a historical story using Shakespeare's language. It is all Shakespeare's yes. language. If you haven't seen it, they do. It's Right out of the text. It's yeah. just uh, abbreviated and shortened. and Maybe moved around in some places. Yeah. We'll get to at the end of the, the second film. And, yeah. and there are some scenes added in, such as the end of the first film, we get a scene of, of the old Richard, Duke of York, um, returning home to his three sons yeah. and his wife. And you get this silhouette of Richard, young Richard, you know, kind of yeah. hunchbacked, limping down the hallway towards his, yeah. his father returning home from, from uh, London. Yeah. And uh, that... It's a nice piece of, of foreshadowing, yeah. not part of Shakespeare. Not at all. Um, the other thing that was significantly cut was the whole Jack Cade's Rebellion from part two. Yeah. And that didn't feature at all. No. In the, there was no mention of that at all. No. And, and it, in fact, that whole that whole subplot of uh, involving the Queen's lover was kind of, it was there, it was hinted at, but it didn't really, like it didn't come into play the way it did in the play. Yeah. That's a nice little yes. pun you did Thank there. You. Uh, it's true. And, and that was kind of interesting because that was one of the most interesting parts of part two Mm -hmm. um, is that there was this whole kind of subterfusion and kind of proxy war almost between York and uh, Henry and Margaret and so Mm -hmm. forth right so removing that I I was kind of upset I'm like oh they're not going to do Talbot when we got when we finished the first Mm -hmm. movie even I was like I don't think they're going to do Talbot Um, and then no I guess it was closer to the to the middle of the the second one actually Uh, but I was kind of disappointed about that, but then I realized, in this case, you didn't need it because uh, you mean Jack Cade, not Talbot. Yeah, sorry, Jack yeah. Cade. I am terrible at that. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, we all knew what you meant. You, yeah, well, you did at least. So, because they didn't have that, uh, I was worried it would kind of weaken the the strategic and the political right. manipulating and stuff. But it didn't because mm-hmm. because this version has that 
uh, at the central focus of the entire series that it doesn't need uh, a subplot about no. you know a proxy war or something no. like that. No. So uh, which really was written to appeal to the masses and was it written to appeal yeah. to the groundlings? Yeah. Which you don't really need when you have people like Sophia Canedo playing Queen Margaret, yeah. right? And and she is such a powerful queen. Um, queenly figure, mm-hmm. but also a tremendous actress, and she's in all three plays or mm-hmm. all three films. I mean, she's um, only one. Yeah, who, yeah, who features in all three, um, aging gracefully. Yeah, well, as, not so much at the end. Or not so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that the, just the tremendous casting that they that they managed to to accomplish with yeah. this yeah. puts the allows them to put the emphasis on this one story and all of the weight of this this great dynastic dispute can be put into those characters onto those actors shoulders mm-hmm. to carry forward through the play you don't need to have these side plots that yeah. in the play strengthen that story and highlight it and add subtle shades of symbolism and meaning although there are still scenes like the the scene where Henry encounters the father who slew his son and the son who yeah. slew his father and it's a strange There's so little ham fist yeah, yeah it 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 did feel a little out of place considering the grand sweep of the rest of the yeah. play but um or sorry the rest of the film but yeah i think in general it it streamlined those three plays so well that it made them genuinely engaging yeah and um and yeah, very understandable, very approachable mm-hmm. for a general audience. Now, I don't know how um, the the academic Shakespeare scholars feel about this yeah, approach. Sure. Yeah, there's probably a lot left to be desired for someone who is a purist who who wants to see this but, but I, unabridged. I, it's but, true, I, but I mean, they have the '80s productions. If you want to, if you want to, well, that's true. And you BBC. have the plays. You yeah, can exactly. watch those performed. And and it didn't in my mind draw conclusions or sorry comparisons to um to what is the what is that play that that they talk about in the west wing president bartlett goes henry ads yeah where they where it's all four plays it's the is it called the war of the roses yeah yeah and and it's put on and it's like nine hours long and it's the whole tetralogy and they sing songs and stuff right (laughs) but i mean but that is what's been done there's there's a a tradition of this having been done so it's not like it's completely out it's not coming out of left field but um but i do wonder how uh, yeah, like the like a the, purist would would view. I'm sure. Well, right. I mean, it's it's just it has a different audience, right? Like it's not designed for someone who wants to go experience Shakespeare. Uh, you do that watching the full play sure. being performed, you know, in the Globe. Like yeah. I I'd love to see a Henry the Sixth Part Two oh, yeah. in the Globe. That would be amazing. Yeah. But this is different. This is for TV. It is for you know not just the masses, but it's for. Um, the masses in their in the currently beloved medium, you know, yeah. it's it's kind of like the, we're in the golden age of TV, prestige television. We're, it's in like the platinum age of yeah. TV. Like there's so much uh, good TV being made, and we'll talk yeah, about production this values or in a Game little bit. Game of Thrones. I mean, you're competing with some big, exactly. <laughs> some big shows. Yeah, so and yeah, you know, it's and nice it does it does that very well. Exactly. Um, so it's it, I don't. I don't feel like even a purist would be that upset about it because mm-hmm. they it's it's just understandable that it's not it's not designed to be William think, Shakespeare's yeah. Henry the Sixth. No. It's it's the BBC. The BBC is Henry the Sixth yeah. by William Shakespeare in yes. little subtext, right? Yeah. Um This is setting aside Richard the Third. We haven't talked about Richard the Third yeah. as a, as its own film. I think that holds up and could stand alongside any of the film versions of Richard the Third. Um 
having just watched the Laurence Olivier version, mm-hmm. I much prefer this one, even though the Olivier version was great and a grand spectacle and it and it fit for a 1950s, 1960s style film. Um, this was far more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting the way that they they constructed Henry, sorry, the way they constructed Richard, mm-hmm. uh, how conniving he is. The w- because they incorporated so much of the um, the soliloquies and asides as obviously talking directly to the camera, which you kind of have to do. There's no other way to do it. Um, but one thing that, that it really hammered home for me watching it, and it's also a testament to Benedict Cumberbatch. I think he's a, he is a great actor. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't want to say he's underrated as an actor because I think most people will will say he's a great actor. But I think his association with the Marvel, um, I well, I think it. Not that it's tarnished it, but I think who it's, hasn't been in a Marvel? No, movie. I know that. I know that. But it's just uh, to have a great actor, especially a British actor, it almost feels like they've lowered themselves to be common. And I hate that. I hate that. That's the comparison. But it's in the news Anthony right now Hopkins because of, was I Thor's know. dead. Like, come on. I no, know. I everybody's know. in Marvel movies. I'm you just, can't. Look down on it. But we've got, but we've got, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese and and all these people shitting on Marvel movies right now. Movies, I get it. Actors are not movies. But I'm saying by association, it's just sad that this is the this is the state of film criticism now. Is that is that people are are putting putting these things in conjunction and saying, well, it's just a Marvel movie. These are just Marvel actors, and that's not true. Yeah. I, I I think it's sad. I mean, some of them aren't great actors, but there are great actors there who are, do it. There are, and yeah. I think Benedict Cumberbatch is one of them, and he does a phenomenal job as Richard III. Maybe one of the best Richard III's. Well, they did a lot Richards of like, the Third. Richards the Third. <laughs> is it <Yes>. like? <laughs> I think so. Surgeon's General. Yes, uh, Governor's it, General. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, and I think a large part of that was not a large part of it, but it helped. They really did like the makeup job and like sure. they gave him the hunch. You know, yeah. like they gave him prosthetics and stuff yeah. like that. And you so can see really, it at the beginning of Richard the Third. He's in the film. He does the now is the winter of our discontent scene as he's um, dressing himself. Yeah, so yeah. he's he's nude from the top down. Uh, bottom up, up mid yeah. up he's he's topless top half he's topless yes. so you can see that really yeah. well um but my point about about him and about the way that they did the soliloquies is that um it's shot very close mm-hmm. and so you feel as the viewer like you are part of it you are a conspirator yeah, you, you are with him yeah, exactly because he is so close to the camera and yeah. he does there's no room to breathe yeah. and and it really does make you a part of the action in a way that there's a distance with Olivier. I don't remember as much the Ian McKellen from when was that the nineties? Yeah, I mean, he's he's just more charming. Yeah, it was in like the mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah. Ian McKellen's was was more charming. Yeah, Richard like uh, Cumberbatch. Uh, Cum- Cumberbatch's was was a little more conniving. Yeah, and Olivier was was just kind of evil. Like yeah, he was just he just he gave off an evil vibe, and mm-hmm. you knew he was evil, and he was mm-hmm. enjoying the evil. Mm-hmm. Cumberbatch is more just like a, a schemer, and that's they present and, it that way. And that he falls into this paranoia, and and it's done with little subtle ticks, like the scene where he's playing chess and he's tapping on the desk yeah. or on the table and the armchair, and he's tapping the chess pieces. There's just such a nervous energy about him, yeah. and because there's that early on scene with Margaret where she she projects or uh, um, 
predicts. She yeah, predicts she holds up the mirror. The mirror, yeah. and she and she has gives them all their fortune. What's going to yeah. happen to all of them? Um, that comes back to haunt him. Literally, he sees her. He sees the mirror in several scenes going forward, including right before he dies. Including yeah. right before he dies. So that's very cleverly done. It shows his descent into madness very well. I thought it was a really, really good adaptation of Richard the um, Third, even if it wasn't entirely one hundred percent faithful to. No, the, yeah, the, and the other thing I think that helps with that is that uh, you you commented on this when we when we were watching Lindsay that did I yes that uh, you the first part is fine it's all about you know the the start Setting of the, the conflict yeah. yeah but the second part is where you realize that Richard is the driving force mm-hmm. he's the most interesting character yes and I think we commented on this too yeah. when we were talking about the plays is that Richard is kind of this this great draw of a character and because even they, before he's the named villain in the play exa- well, exactly yeah yes. it's in Henry the Sixth, and especially in part three and because they knew that and they, they could kind of structure the second yes. film around him a little bit as well yeah. and they set up the, a bit more of the dichotomy between yeah. him and Henry the Sixth, which is again one of the characters or one of the interactions that we we talked about during in Henry the Sixth Part Three. Yeah. Um, these kind of comparative characters, where you know Henry the Sixth is good, but not good at being a king, and and He's Richard's good at, in soul. Yes, yes, and Richard's evil, but very good at being a political Can I manipulator. Be political? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they, because they had that in in mind, they could really help yes. structure it, and and you just naturally draw more and more towards Richard over the course of the second film until he becomes the star of the yes. third. And, well, and it's at the end of the second film it he is. starts giving. Yes. The salute. He starts. He just turns to the camera and just starts talking. Nobody else had done that. Yeah. In, in the course of the yeah. movie. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So yeah. so and that's they did take some parts. I think of from Richard the Third and put them into the second yeah, film. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I don't remember exactly. But yeah. No, well, I don't remember Richard giving any soliloquies in in the, part two or there, part there, three. There was one where he's right before he goes to kill Henry VI, but I think they took a couple lines from his opening Richard the Third soliloquy. Yeah, I think you're right. There. Yeah, but either way, it's it's almost like they're and and obviously Shakespeare didn't do this because we know that he wrote these plays out of order um, when he was writing them, and there were several years in between from the start of writing. Um, Henry VI Part One to writing Richard III, but the BBC production was done all at once. So they and they have that hindsight of being able mm-hmm. to see that Richard III is that first great villain of Shakespeare's. So you build him up. You have Benedict Cumberbatch play him from the age of you know late teens, early twenties yeah. through to his forties or yeah, whatever. However does, yeah. he old, however old he was when he died, and. Um, and and he's able to carry that through from his youth into his kingly old age. Yeah. Um, and it's brilliant. It's like there's there's this there's this mess of people and this one figure just stands up from the about the middle of the second film and you're just like, Yep, it's just he's magnetic. Want, he yeah. is the guy. Yeah. He is the guy. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And it's just fascinating to watch. And that that is a, a plus of, of any adaptation is that you have that hindsight. You can structure things to make the best of the story that you're that you're given. So uh, definitely um, a plus for for that at, for adaptations anyway. If music be the food of love, play on. So besides Richard, there's a couple other interesting characters, and mm-hmm. the way they treat them is a little mm-hmm. different than how I think we expected them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular. My favorite is Henry the Sixth, uh, yeah. because again, in the B- the earlier BBC productions from the eighties, uh, he was a very kind of effeminate, loose, very religious, yeah. sanctimonious almost character. Uh, and here, he's a he's a lot more forceful. He, yes. he does try to be king while 
also being good. Yeah. Um, and then you slowly see that ability to fade as as people start betraying him and yeah. things are taken out of his control. Um, and he's very much kind of just a lovelorn. Like when he meets Queen Margaret, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, yeah, this is she's awesome. I, I love her so yeah. much and everything. Yeah. Right. Um, he's a bit more pitiable. In this yes. case, I think, because yes. you you do see him still trying and he has a lot more force when he gives the speech it's like, how dare you? I'm the king. Yes. You should step out of my throne, Duke of York. Yeah. Um, he, he does fight a little bit harder there. Um, and when Margaret turns around and says, you know, screw you, I won't share your bed until you reinherit your son. Yeah. You know, you feel bad for him because yeah. he's, trying he's trying to make the kingdom safe and get rid of this and this war that's that's tearing his kingdom apart he's trying to do his best you yeah. don't get that sense in the bbc earlier bbc production no. it's not it, it's there in the plays obviously but um but in terms of production yeah. it it, it choice, depends yeah. on on the character the person you cast for the yeah. for the character of rich of henry the sixth um, and the direction. Yeah. What kind of set production and direction you get from your director and your, yeah. your team. So um, I think that that is a, a brilliant stroke on the part of, of these producers. Yeah. Queen Margaret is also an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I do remember there being some controversy when she was cast because obviously Sophie Okonedo is black. Mm-hmm. So um, and there were no black queens in yeah. English history. And um, this has all new meaning now that we have, you know, Meghan Markle, you know, <laughs> and, and little Prince Archie. Is yeah. he Prince? He's Prince. He's Prince. They prince must Archie? be princes, I think. Sure. Are they? Must be. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe not. Either way. Um, so, but but at the time, I do remember there being some controversy there, but, but she was clearly the right person to cast for that role. She... Mm-hmm fully embodies Queen Margaret. Yeah. She's still very conniving. She's very, very evil. Um, but well, and, by and, the time you get to the third the third play, you do feel like the, there's been a lot of shit laying at her, her feet. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, you know, she she maybe doesn't deserve... She's just trying to look out for her best interests and the interests of her son and securing her future, which as a woman, you don't really have that ability in that time period, which we see with Elizabeth Woodville, who was also given a much more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sympathetic yeah. characterization. Yeah, She's not an evil character no. as the, the tutors and, and so on would like to see her cast because, yeah. or, or the, the Yorks would like to see her cast. Um, because, She's just trying to look out for her best interest. And you see that in a conversation she has with her brothers when um, when King Edward is dying. Yeah. Her husband yeah. is dying and she's like, what will become of me? I have nothing if he dies. My fate is tied up to his. And of course, her brothers end up dying and her sons end up dying. Um, her daughter ends up becoming queen, but it's through other alliances and and the intercession of 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 henry tudor coming across from uh from wales from Mm -hmm. milford haven is that where it comes from where he lands so i don't remember i don't remember either but either way uh it's it's so so the contrast there and it's really interesting that they meet at the end at the graves of at at uh the graves of elizabeth's children the, the two princes in the tower and margaret um, Elizabeth and Elizabeth of York, the the mother of yeah. George, played by Richard and Judy Dench. Yes, always lovely. And Edward, she the the three of them, these three powerful women who have all been queen or or close mm-hmm. to the queen, uh, the crown. 
um, plot how to get their power back yeah. in their own way. Yeah. And I think that's a really, that was an interesting, interesting choice. Yeah. And I can't remember that. I mean, there is a version of that scene um, in the play, but I can't remember in the, the the previous BBC production how it was done at all. So I don't remember it at all. Oh, really? So I don't think that was in the play. Oh, okay. That's very possible because, again, reading those plays was a little hard. It times, was. But, <laughs> but I think it was a good choice on the part of... It, it really underscores the, the feminine presence and the but the, the limited power that these women had because Margaret is cast as, again, this sorceress-type figure by the time we get to Richard III. Mm-hmm. And she's an old woman at this point. Yeah. So um, old women who are not married and childless because her children, her, her son has been murdered yeah. by Richard III, the sitting monarch. Um, they don't have a role in society. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth of York, her husband was murdered. Two of her children have been murdered, and she's basically disavowed any association with the king. She's the mother of the king, but she doesn't, she doesn't love him or want him at all. Yeah. And um, Elizabeth Woodville was the queen... But her husband has died. Her children yeah. have been killed. I mean, these are really women who have been Sadly, very yeah. hard done by. Yeah. They have a very limited amount of power. So what can they do? They can arrange advantageous marriages for their children. They can cast spells. They can have lofty speeches where they, they disinherit their children. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. They can't really affect change. Unlike Margaret at the at the beginning in, in part two, when she storms off into battle and, and says to King Henry, like, you have to stay behind because... Yeah. I don't do as well on the battlefield when you're when around. You're yeah. around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think it was important to have that scene in in the film. And obviously having Sophie Okonedo, Judy Dench, and Keely Hawes, who are all fantastic actresses, um, I think it just it lends a, a really um, powerful uh, a gravitas again to that to that interaction, mm. which is not in... I, I'm almost positive it does not happen yeah. anywhere in the plays. For I must tell you friendly in your ear. Sell when you can. You are not for all markets. The last thing I want to talk about quickly was the amazing production Uh quality of this series. Uh, It was you know better than game of thrones in my mind it do you was, have a production number like how much did it cost to, i didn't know i i was it? just looking through uh wikipedia and uh googled it quickly and i couldn't find one but uh i it's can imagine be. it's got to be pretty pricey well yeah i mean bbc doesn't phone it in when it comes to this stuff no, not, I mean, not anymore no <laughs> not, not like the 80s when the hobby horses were brought out they just set up a twickenham or something and just you know <laughs> like even even some of the battles especially bosworth field at the end was was uh pretty intense and yeah. pretty uh thorough and thick right. uh in terms of people and and the sets and, and everything clearly not set in southern california no this a was a very british <laughs> a very english fight, fight scene yeah um, uh, although yeah that, it was a little awkward there was there was a strangeness of like it was obviously filmed on a bright sunny day and then they had the rain coming down and yeah so you couldn't tell if they were trying to make it look like sun showers or if it was just like uh it's supposed to, we wanted it yeah, yeah. Well, we wanted it rainy so who cares if it's actually we'll just turn yeah. on the sprinklers and well and it was everybody. Uh, if 
maybe I'm making this fact up. This could be a, yeah. a Lindsay fact, but I An thought it was fact, yeah. a really muddy, messy. I thought the Battle of Bosworth Field was not a nice, clean. Yeah, that, that cut sounds and right. Battle. I may have read that in one. Of but the am I, I may have also been confusing this with like the Battle of Towton or any <sighs> other, other number of battles that were really exactly. disastrous yeah. for the for that thirty year period of the Wars of the Roses. But um, but, it, but it was interesting that they they basically. They did a medieval look. It was you oh, yeah. know the late medieval period in terms of like armor and clothing and and they just nailed it all. Yeah. I mean it's just it's it's ideal. Like I mean the, I'm the sure that if stuff, a medieval yeah. uh, battle historian, yeah. historian would probably be like, well, that's not yeah. entirely true, but no, for sure. But whatever liberties they did take did not detract from the the uh, the atrocity and the ferocity of that the nope. battle. The nope. fact that these people are in uh, full chainmail and and plate uh, mail and plate stuff. mail yep. getting stuck in the mud yeah um slipping and falling and not being able to get up again yeah. i mean this was this was true to all the accounts that we've read that yeah. have been published that that survive from the time yeah. so um it it looked brutal yeah Absolutely but, brutal. but even beyond the battle scenes just like the castle the interiors the oh yeah the, the costumes across were just like uh, amazing mm-hmm. uh, hands down throughout um and the acting all played into that and yeah. stuff you know they, they they sold the look of uh late medieval period very very well and i think they had to because as we've mentioned this was coming on the heels of um game of thrones and they're sweeping the emmys mm-hmm. year after year well yeah other shows that you know if you look at hbo amc um showtime has gotten in the game with some of their uh their series mm-hmm. um and the BBC itself has it has now a tremendous history of, you know, you look at Sherlock, for example, mm-hmm. which has tremendous film quality production yeah. values. Yeah. Um, the Bodyguard is, yeah. I think that was a BBC production originally, and then maybe Netflix bought it, I don't remember, but yeah. Yeah, like there's... Or, and, and then just looking at Netflix, Amazon, yeah. like these streaming services that also throw tons of money at their mm-hmm. series and, and make these tremendous film quality. I mean, TV is where it's at, and and so the Hollow Crown had to play into that. It couldn't be poorly lit but, sound but stages. But even that, like it did, it did above most of it did. most things. Yeah. Like it looks better than Game of Thrones, in my opinion. Just Maybe that's just the historicity of it. I mean, there's a couple shots of like when they're walking into a castle where you can tell... They used a real castle, but you know mm-hmm. there's there's a highway to two hundred sure. meters away, so they have limited angles. Yeah, how they can like film it they and did. Stuff, they right? filmed quite a few scenes at the Tower of London. Yeah, or at least it looked, it looked very much like the, Tower, like the Tower, of Tower of London. So I, I mean, there were some of the White Tower that it was exterior shots yeah. there, yeah. but I mean that that is in the center of London. It is that you've got the Tower Bridge right there. You've got there's an administrative yeah. office and like the shard, across like, the down way, the way and across like, the river. Yeah. Like you're not you're not out in in the boonies. This yeah. is right <laughs> in the heart of a cosmopolitan, one of the largest cities, the center of of world trade. Yeah. I mean it's it's a huge struggle to make that look like a medieval fortress yeah. and they did it they did it which is well. which is really amazing yeah and even when they didn't like i can't there was one scene where they had uh, i think it was in the second film where a character was walking in through the gates into the tower and i was like that looks exactly like the gates to the tower but i'm not entirely sure it is so whether it was or wasn't yeah they nailed it yeah. right and and that's something that you people aren't really going to care especially if you're and and this was made for a european audience for a british audience but i mean it's played to on i think it was on pbs in the states i'm sure yeah um and uh 
they're not going to care. You substitute any. The Crown did it when you had yeah. um, Westminster Abbey yeah. was not clearly not Westminster Abbey yeah. in in the scenes where uh, for Elizabeth's coronation. Yeah. But for the average viewer, they don't care. They're not going to notice. It's only going to be the eagle-eyed viewers who are going to nitpick, right? But they still went out of their way to make it look as historically accurate as possible, which is, I mean, I appreciated that. I did too, yeah. I thought it was a really good (laughs) job. Have it be cowards! So we've come to the end of our episode, and it is time for our tried-and-true patented segment Marriage counseling. We have not, not patented, patented this at all. Lindsay. Is that is that going to get me into legal trouble? I don't think you can patent the word two words. No, you're right. <laughs> That's true. I don't think. But is, is like words. Coach's Corner patented? Copywritten, maybe. Copywritten, maybe yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. It's just a saying, Aiden. Gosh, you're so pedantic. Anyway, this week's marriage counseling is all about what's something we would uh, have not changed. Reverted back, reverted to back to a the more grand Shakespearean. Shakespearean. Yeah. Um, Aiden, I'm going to let you go first because I feel like I've had the advantage the last few episodes of, of winning, for starters. So I'm going to give you a head start, dear. Why don't you tell me? Yeah. What would you have reverted you, back? Listeners, you missed the patronizing uh, hand, hand tap. tap. Yeah, well, you're there. too far away for me to tap you on the head. Yeah. So, so you know. here it is. Uh, so my idea for the one thing, and we did. I mentioned this already, but uh, I think it is worth potentially bringing back and i'll even explain how i would have done it of course because i like doing that um the jack cade rebellion i think that Ah. i think that did actually add quite a bit to the uh the overall structure of this this dynastic squabble uh and i think it still could have fit in quite well um as a richard kind of planting seeds of doubt and and stuff i think you could have even started it you know, at, at the start of, uh, or at the end of the first film, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, oh, well, I'm going to raise that Kentish, you know, pride and, you know, get something started there. And I think it, I think the other, I think a, a major bonus of that section is that it does provide a dose of humor. There was mm. no humor in mm-hmm. this one at all. No. Um, it was very serious. Uh, and that's, that's fine. Uh, I think it worked quite well for that. Um, but it, I mean, there were a few, kind of black comedy moments of mm-hmm. Richard, you know, being like, whoa, I'm awesome. How did I yeah. woo this woman? And so, you know, yeah. the stuff that's in Richard the third, but the first two uh, films are very short on it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it would have provided a dose of comedy and I think it would have, it could have been something that, you know, it was just another trouble for uh, Henry the sixth and Margaret to deal with mm-hmm. uh, at the same time as all the other conflicts were going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see what, like I mentioned, I could see why, how it would distract as well. Um, but I think there was still some, you could have gotten rid of a bit more of the fat from part one about France and everything, uh, and just focused on, uh, the dynastic battle even more so if, Hmm. if you, if you left Jack Caden. So, so that's my idea. It's not, it's perhaps not the greatest. Uh, Lindsay, I feel like I'm just setting myself up for failure here, but what was yours? What was your return to greatness? Well, I'm, I'm taking the kind of the opposite viewpoint of, of Mm. you, and I'm saying that, I think having a little bit more of an emphasis on France in the first part Ooh. would be and uh, would have been to the benefit of the play. And here's why: okay. not so much the stuff that happened in the court of the Dauphin, but I think expanding Joan of Arc's character would have been a powerful uh, early seed about the power of the women that would eventually come out. Mm. If we had had more mm. about Joan of Arc in the in that early, in the first film, uh, setting her up as not just um, this saintly 
uh, martyr of yeah. the Christian cause, the Catholic faith. And if we actually had her her views as her being a, a brilliant war leader as she was in the plays, um, not being such a pathetic weeping woman as she as she's presented in the film, I think it would have contrasted very nicely or led into um, the the arc that Margaret would eventually take over and that we would see emerge at the end in Elizabeth Woodville. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have provided a nice stable female presence or um, feminist presence, I guess, throughout the, the films. Yeah. Um, not so much that I want to see more of France, but more that I want to see more women. Because mm-hmm. that was something that was lacking. And it may not have been true historically. There was a lot of invention there on Shakespeare's part with the character of Joan of Arc. But I think if we're, if we're in 2015, uh, we're heading into the 2020s right now, but, um, but it's, it, you know, at the time, you know, we've got powerful women leaders. We've got uh, a, a feminist thrust throughout most of pop culture. There's no reason not to you know with without tokenizing it but there's no reason not to have a feminist presence or a female presence mm-hmm. throughout a a big production like this and i think the person that they the actress that they cast as as uh, Joan of Arc was wonderful mm-hmm. she could have done more they could have done more with her and that that was a, a i was sad when i realized oh she's already captured dying at yeah. the stake and and they they really just played up her talking to god stuff they didn't yeah, talk much at all about true. about her battle hardiness or or her Even, inner world yeah, at all it was no. just all about um going out and every time she got the call from the virgin mary she would you know fall to her knees in prayer it was it was a very um that felt very one-dimensional and and doesn't fit in with the other two and three dimensional women yeah. that we get throughout the rest of the the films. So that's the one thing that I would have preferred to see stick a little bit closer. I never thought I would say that I would prefer to see a 16th century female portrayal <laughs> over a 21st century female portrayal, but here we are. Yes. Um, that's what I would have would have rather seen. I can see defeat on this one. Lindsay. Really? That was very well argued. Wow. It's a very good point. Okay. I wish I'd thought of it. That's okay. We came up with this debate five minutes ago. Yeah, so I didn't think have a whole lot of time to come up with we'll, more. We'll but try that's better good. next time. Yeah. Speaking of which, what is the next the next time? What will we be talking about in our next? Next play is Comedy of Errors. Ooh. Um, and I think after that, Lindsay, we haven't discussed this, so I'm just going to spring it on you right Do now. It. Venus and Adonis. Ah, first, I like it. His yes. first big poem. Venus and Adonis, I have not read ever. No, me neither. These are the, so Shakespeare wrote two long poems, Venus and Adonis and the Rape of Lucrece, and uh, in addition to all the sonnets, which we haven't even touched on yet. No, but we'll get to them too. Um, but yeah, I love that. So I think that 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 would be. Are you saying as a special episode? Yeah. Like well, yeah. No, it'll be like like this one. It'll be play it. then then Venus poem. and Adonis. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. But comedy bears, I'm really looking forward to this. We've yes. seen this performed a couple, a couple times of times. Now, yeah. um, it's one of the lighter uh, romantic comedy type plays. Yeah. Um, there's a few. There are a few film adaptations. I, I, think. I haven't looked it up yet, but I believe I so. Think there are. I mean, uh, maybe at the very I'm least confused. we have the BBC. Yeah, at the very very least. <laughs> Um, but but I am looking forward to to reading this play because I don't think we read this one in university, nope, so this may be the so first either. time reading it as well. So yeah. this will be fun coming off of the heavy, dark Wars of the Roses and into the light and fluffy uh, 
uh, whipped topping. It's a cool whip <laughs> that cool is whip the comedy of, of errors. <laughs> Do you like my metaphor? I love it. It's like dark chocolate and cool whip. No? I don't know. Dark chocolate's really good as far as I'm concerned. Am I taking this too far? Maybe I'm just really hungry. We should eat supper. We should go eat supper. We should. That's a good idea. Okay. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.